Freedom of the press is sacred in America. That's why it's enshrined in our First Amendment. Americans understand this, yet the people in the press are embroiled in an unprecedented conflict. Media outlets like CNN and MSNBC are fake news. The people want the truth. The media claims to be giving it to them. And there's a standoff. Now the press is concerned about the tone of the conflict. And more specifically, they fear for the safety of the press. Hey, Chris, I mean, at what point does this become dangerous? I'm talking about dangerous as in a journalist gets hurt. But is this true? Is the mainstream media really concerned about the safety of journalists? I'm Patrick Carelci, and this is Red Pilled America, a new storytelling show. This is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the elites ignore. You could think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing. The truth. Welcome to Red Pilled America. Freedom of the press. It's one of our founding principles and has kept us from becoming a country like China, a centrally planned society without liberty, without freedom. Yet a conflict between the people and the press has reached epic proportions. The conflict is not a new development. Rush Limbaugh sounded the first alarm on the AM radio dial in the 80s. Sean Hannity exposed it on cable TV, and Matt Drudge linked to it on the internet in the 90s. Andrew Breitbart displayed it within the blogosphere a decade ago. The battle between the people and the press has been brewing for at least a generation. Middle America has largely been powerless to the far-left mainstream media. But something new is happening. The people, they aren't taking it anymore, and they have some tools at their disposal. The information war has reached such epic proportions that the mainstream media claims to be concerned about the safety of the press. But is that true? Are they really worried about the safety of journalists? To find the answer, we follow the rise of one of today's most controversial journalists, a man who helps us get to the bottom of the conflict between the people and the press. Fake news articles, outrageous and salacious. Toxic paranoia. Baseless allegations. Preying on the credulous. Potentially reaching millions of people. Spreading conspiracy theories. And foments hatred of media. This is insane. As a fake news story has turned into something very real. Oh, well, when they say fake news, that includes any reporting that contradicts their leftist narrative. You are fake news. Very dishonest. Relentless left-wing bias. Blatant lies. It is an agenda. What you've just seen are two different definitions of fake news, but both of them can't be true. What is real news and what is fake news? That's what you're going to learn in Host, the media's war on truth. That last guy is Mike Cernovich, describing his 2018 film, Hoaxed, a documentary on the phenomenon of fake news. Few in journalism have gone through the meteoric rise that Mike Cernovich has experienced. At one point completely ignored by the legacy media, he is now one of their favorite targets. The far-left New York Times accuses him of being a conspiracy theorist. The uber-left Washington Post brands him as a right-wing online agitator. The radical leftists at CNN think he's a right-wing troll. They can call Michael Cernovich a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. 
The man seemed to appear from out of nowhere to become one of the most followed and most reviled figures in media, and he seems to love every minute of it. I first spoke with Mike in September 2016 when he was still largely an undiscussed figure in legacy media. I was struck by how different his demeanor was compared to his Twitter persona. One-on-one, the guy was obviously smart, funny, and charismatic. But on Twitter, he more resembled Rowdy Roddy Piper. Alright, we're at the park. There's a lot of people. A lot of people here. Where are the cameras? Why won't the media cover her? Why is the media being a stooge for, for Hillary? This is WikiLeaks in action. The media is only covering the pro-Hillary side right here. Cameras everywhere. Where are the cameras on the pro-Bernie people? He was a villain that relished in the role. At the time, I was advised to stay away from him. That message only amplified over the last two years. But when I recently learned about what he was going through, a potentially dangerous situation for his family, I couldn't look away. Like most overnight success stories, Mike's has been a long time coming. Originally a self-help author, he'd eventually add journalism to his talent stack, and has unquestionably broken some major stories, and arguably, forced one of the most jaw-dropping moments of the 2016 election. So I never went to journalism school and thought, I want to one day be Woodward and Bernstein or anything like that. I just didn't like, I don't like being lied to. And I thought, well, let's tell the truth about what is actually going on here. But Mike found his way into journalism in a roundabout way. Raised in a small town in Illinois around nothing but cornfields and soybean farms, Mike Cernovich grew up a poor, chubby kid who got picked on a lot until he had a life-changing moment. He describes the time in his self-help book, Gorilla Mindset. One day, a bully beat me up badly. It was humiliating. My sister had to pull the attacker off of me. I felt demoralized and powerless. There was a mattress in our garage, and I went there and laid down on it, and I cried myself to sleep. When my dad came home from work, he opened the garage door, looked down at me with part pity and part contempt, and he asked me one question that changed my life. When are you going to get serious? Those words, coupled with the expression on his face, were a wake-up call for me. I made the decision there. I would get serious. Very serious. He began training hard in martial arts, eventually claiming to have beaten up all but one of his past bullies. He'd later channel that energy into a different direction. He'd ultimately move out to Southern California to attend law school and later start a law blog. That was his first step into journalism. I got involved in legal journalism probably 10 or 15 years ago. I had a law blog that I kept as a hobby and one thing that I would notice is that in judicial opinions discussing prosecutorial misconduct, the judges would never identify the prosecutor by name. I would look into court records and court filings to find obscure information about people who engaged in unethical legal conduct. At the time, he didn't even realize that what he was doing was journalism, basically being curious about something and digging in to find the answer. He moved away from the law blog and started an online magazine for what he described as alpha males and would develop a self-help business around an idea he calls Gorilla Mindset, publishing books and producing self-help seminars around the concept. But he'd get drawn back to journalism when he got a tip from some of his blog readers. I think the first time I ever really did journalism was when I had a bunch of readers in, in, in Budapest, Hungary, and at the time I was going to go to Budapest just to go to the Opera House or something, and they told me, hey, you know, the media is really lying about the, the migration issues happening. 
And I thought, okay, I'll go figure that out. At the time in 2015, there was a major immigration crisis hitting Europe like a ton of bricks. Hundreds of angry migrants have been demonstrating outside Budapest's Kaleti International Railway Station. And I went to the Kaleti train station in Hungary, in Budapest, and I noticed, yeah, that the media had not been telling the truth. And here's what I mean by that. The media in the area was branding the European migrants as refugees. However, what Mike saw was something different. But the issue is, what's the difference between a refugee and a migrant? And that's not something that the media is prepared to discuss or that they thought about. Now, the difference is that a migrant is leaving his country for a better economic opportunity. And that's not something I want to knock, but that's different than a pure refugee. Here's what I noticed at the Coletti train station. There were signs, I kid you not, that were literally saying, do not stop in Denmark because under the Refugee Migration Act, whichever country you get fingerprinted first is the country you have to stay in. And I thought, well, Denmark's a pretty nice country, but Denmark doesn't have as generous a benefits as Germany and Austria. Most people demonstrating outside the station had valid tickets and demanded to be allowed travel onto Germany. And I realized, okay, there's more to the story than is being reported. And that was the beginning. Like so many others, including yours truly, Mike had unintentionally stepped into a life of journalism. James O'Keefe has a quote which I like, and that is, journalism is an activity, not an identity. And that, even though I didn't know it at the time, I was doing journalism, but not really realizing it. But I would only do it as a one-off. I, I wasn't trying to get scoops, right? He was ready to step away from journalism again. But then something happened. More after the break. Red-Pilled America is supported by ExpressVPN. With all the recent internet security breaches, it's time to start protecting yourself online. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. And we all know we're being tracked online by the tech giants. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to protect my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that secures your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN number one rated apps run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet and cost under $7 a month. So if you don't want these tech giants knowing everywhere you go online and you want to keep hackers from stealing your login information, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity right now and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash RPA. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash RPA for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash RPA to learn more. Now back to Red Pilled America. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Corelci. So Mike saw that the media wasn't telling the truth about the European migrant crisis, but he was ready to step away from journalism again. That's until something happened. The campaign of the century was taking shape. Ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again. In 2015, I had strongly held political beliefs, which was that I hated both parties equally. I had what would be called a negative moment with politics during the bailouts of Wall Street. And I, I said, well, wait a minute, all these people got rich 
and my friends are pleading bankruptcy and losing their homes, and John McCain and Barack Obama are suspending campaigning to go back to Washington, D.C. to figure out how you can help the big banks and forget about the consumers. So for me, the idea of being politically involved or being on the side was something I held in contempt. So I was anti-politics, anti-both political parties, and of course that was pre-Trump because as we know, Trump arrived and he changed everything. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account- Only Rosie several... O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. They said there were weapons of mass destruction, there were none, and they knew there were none. But I am sick and tired. That's a matter you of principle, and I'll, and I'll tell you. You are the biggest liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush. And you know, I said to somebody that is really the messenger. The messenger is important. I could have one man say, we're going to tax you 25%. And I could say another, listen, you motherfuckers, we're going to tax you 25%. Trump just showed up and I thought, this guy's fun. I want to see him smash things. I want to see him call everybody out. I want to watch the show. I didn't even know what Trump's political issues were. I just knew that this is fun. What he was struck by in the early part of the 2016 election was that the media thought Trump's ceiling was just 3%. So I, at the time I said, you, you people are crazy. Like Trump is everywhere and he's got a, he's got a very strong shot. And in fact, the GOP, they can't win the general election. The only pers person in the GOP running who could win the general election is Trump. And then, of course, everybody told me I was dumb, didn't know what I was talking about, stick to lifting weights. And I thought, OK, now now you guys have like started an argument with me, so I'm going to get into this. Like so many citizen journalists, what caught his eye during the election cycle was the difference between what he was witnessing firsthand and what the mainstream media was telling the public. And I noticed something that I wasn't seeing in the news, which was if you go to a Trump rally. Thank you very much. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Good time. Everybody's nice. Um, occasionally, occasionally, you know, maybe a punch gets thrown that shouldn't. And I don't have any tolerance for that kind of stuff. But if you compare, say, a Trump rally to a rock concert or even to a left wing event, you'll find out that they're peaceful. But you go outside of the Trump rally. And there's like carnage. Well, people are throwing bottles. Uh, by people, I mean Antifa, far left wing protesters, throwing glass bottles at the police, chanting F the police, attacking Trump supporters. I saw a guy get his nose broken. And if you turned on the news, they would say, can you believe how bad these Trump rallies are? And I said, well, wait a minute, the Trump rallies are actually quite nice, but outside is the carnage. So then I started streaming what was happening outside of the Trump rallies and kept doing that and it went from there. Mike's Twitter following was on the rise. He started using a live video sharing app called Periscope that connects to Twitter and was providing his followers a perspective that they weren't getting anywhere else. As the Democratic National Convention was opening in Philadelphia, a major scandal broke out. The latest emails released by WikiLeaks suggest that top officials at the Democratic National Committee plan to undermine Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Protests erupted outside the DNC convention. Sanders' supporters were pissed. The mainstream media largely ignored the protests. Mike Cernovich did not. You can think what you want, 
There's a lot of people here. So I'm gonna give you a tour of this park that we're at by the convention center, just so you can get a sense of how many people are here. We want change, and Bernie is the one change. If they wanna keep up a lot more, fine. They're gonna hear it from the streets, like they hear it now. Love it. They're gonna hear it from the streets. Yeah. He described what he was doing as journalism about journalism. He wanted to show where the press was and where they were not, what they were doing and what they weren't doing. As the 2016 campaign raged on, Mike was naturally finding ways to expose the mainstream media's bias. He decided to hone in on a taboo subject, Hillary's health. Hillary Clinton had serious health incidents throughout the years, going back to 1998 when she got a serious blood clot in her knee. In 2005, she fainted during a luncheon speech. Then in early 2008, during a TV interview in the heat of her first presidential run, a problem reared its ugly head. How will you use your husband, Bill Clinton, in the administration? <coughs> we, we assume he won't be... <coughs> you know, this... Uh, Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. I was reading in the paper yesterday, and this is what happens in these long campaigns. You get the... Yes. Well, you know what? I won't hold you on here uh, any longer because you. Uh, you probably could use some water Sorry. there. Senator, thank you. At first, it looked like an isolated incident. But then it happened again a few days later. <coughs> I've talked way too much. <coughs> She'd eventually drop out of the race, paving the way for Obama's election. He'd later appoint her as Secretary of State in 2009, then shortly after taking the position. We announced last night uh, Senator Clint Secretary Clinton was preparing to depart uh, the State Department for a meeting at the White House uh, and fell in the basement as she was walking uh, towards her car, uh, and she suffered a fracture of her right elbow. The health concerns just continued to pop up, with another coughing fit in 2012. <coughs> 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 Many Americans think we select our presidential frontrunners. That's rarely the case. The parties pick and mold their frontrunners years in advance, which is why a few days after Obama won re-election, Hillary started her branding campaign for a 2016 presidential run to be his successor, and her health came into question. You know, you will be 69 in 2016 if you ran. If you won two terms, you would be 77. Is your age a concern to you? It really isn't. I am, thankfully, knock on wood, not only healthy, but have incredible stamina and energy. But just one day after her Barbara Walters interview aired, Hillary was rushed to a doctor and diagnosed with a concussion after fainting again. The episode couldn't be kept under wraps. We have more about some big news that broke this weekend. The State Department saying that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton fainted from dehydration after an illness and got a concussion. She has canceled one trip, and ABC senior foreign affairs correspondent Martha Raddatz now has the latest on her condition. She had to be admitted into the hospital for a blood clot that formed in the space between her brain and her skull behind her right ear. The head injury was so serious, she was forced to wear special glasses for double vision. The optics of the incident, so soon after telling the world she was healthy, provided a clear problem for a 2016 run. So she did something unprecedented. This is very improbable. <laughs> this is not an interview I ever expected to be doing. More after the break. Support for Red Pilled America comes from Stamps.com, your personal post office right at your desk. 
Having to leave the office to run shipping errands eats up valuable time that I'd rather spend producing this show. Then we looked at Stamps.com and it was a no-brainer. It's like having a 24-7 post office at your fingertips. Everything you can do at your local post office can be done from your desk using Stamps.com, your computer, and a printer. You can buy and print official U.S. postage from your computer for any letter or any package. And the best part is that you don't need to leave the office to do it. Once your letters or packages are ready to go, you can simply hand them off to your postal carrier, drop them in the mail, or schedule a free USPS package pickup. Stamps.com is providing a special offer to Red Pilled America listeners. You get a four-week trial, which includes a package of supplies, postage, and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com right now, then click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the promo code RED to receive the special offer. That's Stamps.com and enter RED. Now back to the story. This is very improbable. (laughs) This is not an interview I ever expected to be doing. Just a few weeks after being released from the hospital, Hillary appeared with President Obama in a joint interview with 60 Minutes. And what was the message they delivered to the public? Why were you so insistent about wanting her to be Secretary of State? Well, I was a big admirer of Hillary's before our primary battles and and, uh, the general election. You know, her discipline, her stamina. Her stamina. The political class seemed to know something the public did not. It appeared there was something up with Hillary's health. She'd eventually ditched the double vision glasses, but her violent coughing fits continued. (coughs) So when the 2016 presidential campaign was fully underway, it shouldn't have been a surprise that Hillary's health was going to be an issue. Matt Drudge was the first to bring it up in a big way. She's old and she's sick. She's not a contender. They're making her a contender with these propped up Saturday Night Live things. It's like a head on a stick. And then on the Today Show with the gun three, a head on a stick. She is not a viable, vibrant leader for this country of 300, including the illegals, 380 million. Anybody who is 70 years old who's hypothyroid, you do not elect president, ladies and gentlemen. You don't do it. Then just a few weeks later, Trump picked up the baton and in pure Trumpian fashion drove the message home. By the way, Hillary Clinton does not have the strength or the stamina. She doesn't have the strength or the stamina to be president. She doesn't. She has got, and I mean this, no strength, no stamina. She cannot lead us. She doesn't have the strength or the stamina to be president. And I'll tell you, and it's not a nice thing to say, it's terrible. What makes you say that? Take a look. She goes to an event. The press is told what to say, where to go. They put them in a pen. They hold them. She does a little event, and then she goes away for four or five days. She doesn't have the strength of the stamina. I mean, you know, she's got a name, and people will stupidly vote for her. She doesn't have the strength or the stamina. I'm not like Hillary Clinton. She's got no strength. She's got no stamina. She doesn't have the strength or the stamina to be president. Nobody even knows what happened to her. It's like she went home and went to Why do you keep going on this? this. Trump was pounding away at the message, and at a time when the exhaustion of the campaign was clearly beginning to wear on Hillary. By the beginning of 2016, the uncontrollable coughing fits were back. Was it about this time in April 2016 that Mike Cernovich started to publicly identify this issue? In a series of tweets, he brought attention to her health. 
Quote, Hillary simply does not have the energy or health or stamina to fight Trump one-on-one, -on -one, he tweeted. If you can't see this, you're truly blinded by hate, he added. No one in the mainstream media was critically reporting about her obvious health problems. So Mike began blogging about it. As Hillary's coughing fits continued, the media was forced to cover it in the only way they knew how, claiming the attacks on her health were sexist. Um, and there's this veiled sexism that they've been accused of. Somebody doesn't have the strength and stamina. Somebody uh, who should not be president. But even with the media playing defense, the health concerns swirling in social media were leaving a mark. So Hillary introduced a new campaign slogan that appeared directly designed to counter the brewing controversy. If you could sum up, what is the big idea of your candidacy? Look, we are stronger together. We are stronger together in facing our internal challenges and our external ones. We are stronger together if we work to improve the economy. And It was no coincidence that the word stronger was in her slogan. Her campaign might as well have said Hillary was sick. The message started to become clear to the Twitterverse. So yeah, sick Hillary, what happened there was um, Scott Adams had just written that he thought that Hillary looked unhealthy. And I looked at Hillary and I thought, well, Hillary's unhealthy. And my brain, just due to being a lawyer, is always looking for logical inconsistency. And Mike noticed that Hillary was canceling events and hiding from the media. By contrast, Trump was everywhere. There was even a time, she went 255 days, I believe, without doing a press conference. And, and thus I started, um, with a friend, started a countdown clock saying, when was Hillary's last press conference? Conservative media was, however, fixated on Hillary's shady finances. But it was falling flat. The Clintons' financial corruption was already baked in the cake. And besides, people think all politicians are corrupt. But bad health? That's a fatal flaw. Mike's instincts gravitated to an area that the media was saying was completely off-limits. By early August, Mike began publicly advocating that Hillary's health was the single issue of the election. By contrast, the media was not only ignoring her health, they were actively trying to marginalize anyone talking about it. Mike and others like Paul Joseph Watson attacked the issue nearly full-time. Nobody wants a weak president in the United States. Nobody wants a sick president in the United States. Nobody wants a so-called Manchurian candidate or a weakened Hillary's type person. So that's why we hit the health thing hard. Mike got the hashtag Hillary's Health trending and posted article after article on the subject, sometimes making wild speculations. If the media wasn't going to cover the unknowns about her health, Mike would fill the void in a way that got attention. He wondered about what looked like a lesion on her tongue. He questioned whether a specific member of her Secret Service detail was possibly her medical handler. He published articles quoting medical professionals about her potential ailments. Where she's having poor reflexes and falling, and that's led one physician who believes she has Parkinson's. He led with headlines like, Hillary's health cannot be ignored. And we kept pushing it. We kept pushing it. We kept pushing the narrative that, for example, she had a stool with every event that she would kind of lean on. So we'd say, well, why does she have a stool? And the next thing you know, the stool's gone. And it was it was unrelenting because she, she was not healthy. People started combing the internet for any signs of Hillary's frailty. They found images of her needing help upstairs at a campaign stop. The Drudge Report ran with the images. The Hillary's health hashtag reached such a fever pitch that Sean Hannity dedicated an entire segment to the growing controversy. And welcome back to Hannity. So an image of Hillary Clinton recently posted to the website The American Mirror is sparking new controversy for the Clinton campaign. Of course, the far left CNN entered, 
claiming that questions about her health were the stuff of conspiracy theories. Brian Stelter led the charge. And the Clinton campaign, uh, whether you agree with them or not, they are right tonight to be saying these are just conspiracy theories. They've been debunked time and time again. But no matter what the media did to try to make the issue off limits, the concern over her health kept growing. She was forced to respond. The new one is that you, you are unhealthy, that you, uh, you had a concussion, right. that Rudy Giuliani was on Fox News yesterday and today, and he's saying you, look, you seem to be sick, you look tired, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Are you in good health? Here, you take my, take my pulse while I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, so uh, make sure I'm alive. Oh my God, there's nothing there's there. There's nothing there. Uh, what, what can I say? It's, uh... Can you open this jar of pickles? This has not been tampered with. <laughs> This is... <laughs> oh, oh, she may have been able to open the jar, but she was still in a media pickle. Because, you see, Mike wasn't operating purely on a hunch. He claimed to receive some inside information. Now, as you know, Secret Service does not leak. That is the one law enforcement agency where they're just not going to tell you anything. However, Hillary Clinton had mistreated Secret Service for years and years and years. So I'm not going to say my source was Secret Service, but I, I was informed to monitor Hillary and to have someone constantly follow her around because there kind of would be an incident. The issue became so toxic for Hillary that any cancellation on her schedule would have surely caused an internet firestorm. At the time, Trump was everywhere, tirelessly campaigning. The Hillary's health meme contrasting the two candidates created pressure for Hillary to go out when she probably shouldn't have. And in early September 2016, the demands of the campaign started to catch up with her. And I want to thank Congresswoman Marsha Fudge for hosting us. She started making serious mistakes. Be grossly generalistic. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. So the pace the pace because of the questions people were asking got too much for her and then that led to the event on 9-11. This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good day from New York. Some concerns raised uh, this morning about the well-being of Hillary Clinton, Democratic candidate for president after she left the 9-11 memorial service uh, at ground zero earlier than expected. Strangely, the media claimed they didn't follow Clinton as she left the event, so the details of the incident were at first sketchy, but then the real story began to leak. Our Rick Leventhal is in Lower Manhattan. He saw the attacks unfold 15 years ago as well. Rick? And John, before we get to that, I wanted to bring our viewers up to date on a story that is breaking right now. Uh, that I just learned about within the last 15 or 20 minutes. As you know, there are many dignitaries gathered at the scene, including uh, Republican nominee Donald Trump and the uh, Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton, who was at Ground Zero, was there for the ceremony, and left 
unexpectedly left early because of what appeared to be a medical episode. I have a law enforcement source who was there, who was 15 feet away from Hillary Clinton. He says she was standing on a curb with a protective detail waiting for her motorcade. Uh, they were surprised to see her because she wasn't supposed to be leaving yet, so they had to wait for the motorcade two or three minutes. When it finally rolled up, my source says she stumbled off the curb, appeared to faint, lost one of her shoes that wound up underneath the van. Uh, her protective detail, I'm told, helped her into that van, and then the van took off, presumably in the direction of a hospital. They grabbed her shoe. Hillary apparently fainted for the third time that we know of, and luckily, an astute bystander captured it all on video. Let's watch this video for a second. Here you see her apparently almost falling, but captured, caught by uh, people, presumably Secret Service agents around her. The media tried to claim Hillary just stumbled, but the video clearly showed that she collapsed. It was a stunning moment. The news spread like wildfire. I'll always remember 9-11 um, two different ways. One is, of course, the terrible attacks, and then I'll remember people screaming, get out of bed. My phone was ringing because I'm a night owl. I was up to probably four in the morning that night. So I was sleeping. I was happy, um, dreaming away about something, I'm sure. And then Shauna shakes me. She goes, Michael, everybody's calling you. Something must have happened. And I look at my phone and my texts are just blowing up. Scott Adams texted me. It's over. And I thought, it's over. What the heck happened? And then, of course, I signed online and saw the now famous tape of Hillary collapsing. After watching the video, he jumped online to gloat with his followers. I told you. I mean, like, I told you. I'm declining, um, I'm declining a Pulitzer. <laughs> because I will not accept, um, I will not accept uh, awards from the hoax media. Mike was completely vindicated. The fake news media, who just days ago were saying concerns over Hillary's health were pure conspiracy theories, now had to acknowledge her health was indeed an issue. But after today, Clinton's health is now a political issue, especially because after saying publicly she only had allergies, they did not disclose her later diagnosis of pneumonia until forced to by today's events. And a point I want to make about that video that I find most telling about it, and I, I haven't heard anybody but me mention this point, the... If you and I were walking, Patrick, and you fell down, I would be like, oh, crap. Like, what do we do? And when Hillary just collapsed, everybody knew what to do. There was no sense of what's happening. Is this a bad thing? What do we have to do? That tells me that that wasn't the first time she had collapsed because, yep, just grabbed her. Another guy grabbed her, put her in like another day at the office. And that's something the media never – wants to talk about because it shows that the media were conspiracy theories. So that day was a major vindication of me. It is a great media lie, and it's an insult to conspiracy theorists across the world to claim that I spread a conspiracy theory about her health, when no, the conspiracy theory was that she was actually healthy. This was the event that made Mike Cernovich the enemy of the mainstream media. And why? Because he made the media look ridiculous, and he had fun doing it. Everybody, you know, everybody knows where this whole stuff came from. My, my thing is just blowing up right now. You know, people are literally telling me to get out of bed. I don't get out of bed for anything, but I'll get out of bed for a Hillary Clinton fainting episode. Media coverage on Mike started to trickle in. The New Yorker featured him in an article entitled Trolls for Trump in October 2016. The story largely positioned him as an influential supporter of Trump's candidacy. The rest of the media probably would have left him alone after that. 
The press tends to ignore effective journalists on the right. But then the unthinkable happened. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon. TV like so many other Trump supporters, Mike Cernovich was added to the media's hit list. I want to say I'm like a zoo animal. They were studying. They would all they all know who I was, but they wouldn't talk about me. That's another point, I guess, about the New Yorker article. That was a big awakening moment for me is. All these people who, oh, never heard of this guy, nobody knows who he is. When that article came, everybody goes, yeah, I told you, Cernovich is a loser. He's an insecure wannabe, alpha male, whatever. And I thought, wow, all you people who ignored me are sharing this article. You clearly know a lot about me. So that's when I realized that they were all pretending to not know who I was and they were lying. Their close surveillance of Mike would soon play out. The first major media hit piece against him arrived in the form of a 60-minute story about the purveyors of fake news. In this last election, the nation was assaulted by imposters masquerading as reporters. The media, unwilling to admit that Trump legitimately won the presidency, began a conspiracy theory that fake news led to his victory, and the show placed Mike right at the center of it all. 60 Minutes even suggested that Mike was connected to an outrageous crime. This past December, Edgar Welch opened fire in a Washington, D.C. pizzeria. He told police he was there to rescue children forced into prostitution by Hillary Clinton. A few weeks before Election Day 2016, WikiLeaks published some emails of John Podesta, a top advisor to Hillary Clinton. Online chat rooms began to discuss what they thought was a strange code language used in the emails. Some speculated that the use of the word pizza was code for pedophilia. Followers of the internet phenomenon called it Pizzagate. The um, idea that I was some kind of huge Pizzagate spreader when what in fact happened is I posted to a hashtag unrelated stories just about pedophilia. Mike had often been criticizing the media for normalizing pedophilia. The New York Times, Salon.com, and others published articles arguing that pedophiles were not monsters. It was a disorder, not a crime, they argued. So Mike used the trending Pizzagate hashtag in the story to criticize the media on its gross normalization of pedophilia. At times, he was imprecise with his words, and admittedly, he enjoyed a good conspiracy theory, all of which left him vulnerable. A man would end up entering a DC pizzeria, thought by some Pizzagate believers to be the center of a child pedophile ring, and shot at the only locked door in the restaurant thinking he was saving trapped kids. But there were no trapped kids. Luckily, no one was hurt. The man was arrested and sentenced to several years in prison. But it was the perfect opportunity for the media to try and take down Mike. 60 Minutes opened up their segment with the shooting and suggested that Mike was somehow connected to the crime and perhaps was even responsible for it. The police say there is no sex trafficking conspiracy, but millions read about it on dozens of websites, including one called Danger and Play, which wrote, Clinton's inner circle includes child traffickers, pedophiles, and now members of a sex cult. Danger and Play is written by Michael Cernovich, a Southern California lawyer who describes himself as right of center politically, but who has become a magnet for readers with a taste for stories with no basis in fact. These news stories are fakes. They're definitely not fake. They're lies. They're not lie at all. 100% true. 
Stunningly, though, when Mike published the entire interview transcript, 60 Minutes said something entirely different. During the interview, Scott Pele, the host of the show, admitted that the show's researchers verified that Mike never claimed the pizzeria was involved in a child pedophile ring. That admission never made the show. And then I went on 60 Minutes, and that was when I was on everybody's radar. Because everybody, I remember I remember the day I went on 60 Minutes for the rest of my life. Everybody was hyped when they found out that I was going to be on because they thought that he's going to be crushed. Everybody said, I can't wait to watch Cernovich go on to 60 Minutes. He's going to be destroyed. And the hashtag for 60 Minutes trended, trended, trended. Everybody was tweeting at me, you're a loser. Can't wait to watch you, watch you get destroyed. I go on. In August, he published this headline. Hillary Clinton has Parkinson's disease, physician confirms. You don't think that's misleading? No. You believe it's true today? Oh, absolutely. She had a seizure and froze up walking into her motorcade. Well, she had pneumonia. I mean, How do you know? Who told you that? Well, the campaign told us that. Why would you trust the campaign? Afterwards, media silence. Nothing. <laughs> And I go, I know I did well then because they would be letting me know if I hadn't. And and then that's when the media pieces started to show up. And of course, they took a very dishonest tone, which was, oh, he's a troll. And if you argue with the troll, it's going to be different than a normal media person. They tried to, again, create this uh, dehumanize me to make me seem like I'm not a human being. And that was nasty on their part. Even after being branded as the leader of fake news. Mike kept breaking real stories, major stories, including the story proving Trump was right about the Obama administration spying on him. Donald Trump Jr. said Mike deserved a Pulitzer Prize for the reporting. Mike also started to change his approach, becoming less trolly, more publicly empathetic, a bit more kumbaya. He began an effort to shame journalists into covering violence against Trump supporters by calling out the entire press corps at a White House briefing. What about violence against Trump supporters in Berkeley? The violence against Trump supporters isn't being covered. Why is that? Why will nobody here cover the violence against Trump supporters? And why won't you demand at least... It was around this time that a left-wing video creator started to elevate his harassment on Mike on Twitter. The guy worked for CNN's parent company, Turner Broadcasting. There was a guy, and I'm not going to name him because I don't want to give people more attention, who started trolling me on Twitter with tweets that I don't even think I writ written, right? And I thought, oh, okay, this guy's a little creepy. Whatever, it's Twitter, people troll you. And then he started telling his followers to like dogpile me or whatever the term is. And I just started getting all kinds of harassment, creepy messages from his followers. They would invade me like 50 or 100 times anytime I did a, a video. So I blocked the guy. When you block someone on Twitter, you stop them from seeing your posts and they can no longer communicate with you on the site. So I blocked the guy. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. This is a creepy guy. I'm blocking the guy. And then he tells his followers, Cernovich blocked me, message Cernovich, which, by the way, is inciting harassment. And I got the usual, hey, weird Mike, hey, this and that. The harassment could have stopped there, but this Twitter gang took it a step further. They began sending Mike some pretty disturbing messages including a photoshopped image of semen on top of a picture of Mike and his daughter with just the slang word for semen in the message. They sent a picture of me and my daughter with the message C-U-M. And that set me off. 
Mike said he checked to see if the person who sent the message interacted with and followed the Turner Broadcasting guy he blocked. And sure enough, they did. And I just went ham, I think as any father would, and did some very, very heated periscopes. And then I thought, okay, this person's going to just go away, move on. But he didn't. Just unrelenting. I would do an event, threats. The venue would say we're getting threats. The threats led to the cancellation of Mike's event. And the stalker, as Mike now refers to him, emailed Mike to ridicule him about the cancellation. Mr. Stalker kept escalating the harassment. There's a video now the person has made of my wife, and there's a baby being beaten up in the background. Mr. Stalker used one of Mike's videos and added audio of a baby crying and slapping sounds to suggest Mike and his wife were abusing their child. Mama's got it. She's, she's like 50-50 potty trained. Yeah, she stopped and looked at me and was like, we gotta go, okay. All right, we're still here. We're still here, people. I, I told you, I'm, you know, we're, we're not, I, we're not. The video was a grotesque fake. Here's the real audio. Mama's got her. She's, she's like 50-50 potty trained. Yeah, she stopped and looked at me and was like, we gotta go, okay. And the person made a video tagging in child protective service organizations saying somebody needs to rescue this baby. This baby's being abused, and that that's like a different level, right? The obsession Mr. Stalker and his followers have with Mike is alarming. Mr. Stalker has threatened to call the police to rescue Mike's daughter, a threat that can be interpreted as swatting, a dangerous act where pranksters attempt to get law enforcement to send a large number of armed police to a particular address. It's dangerous because someone could get mistakenly killed. Mr. Stalker has threatened to crash a wedding that Mike was attending with his daughter. That led to a police report filed by the groom. The Twitter gang has edited audio of his daughter to make it sound like she's saying things about pedophiles. Mr. Stalker has even tweeted out Mike's phone number, and others from this Twitter gang have tweeted out his address and made death threats to him and his wife. Real sick stuff. We're talking, you know, real beyond the pale. And this has been going on for about two years. It, it just... There's so much of it that I that I actually lose track of it. I had a kind of surreal moment where I texted my wife and I said, "Hey, babe, I'm I'm looking for a specific threat. Do you have the one where the guy said he's going to bash your head with a baseball bat?" And she's like, "Oh, yeah, let me check." And then three minutes later, she gives it to me. Right? That that's coming from the followers and fans of this stalker gang. And if it, these are verified Twitter accounts, by the way, who are inciting this kind of harassment. Of course, I report the tweets, nothing happens. But besides the moral concerns, Mike is troubled by their fixation for another reason. Recently, we noticed that these people who commit these crimes, the Capital Gazette shooter, for example. Good evening, I'm Jeff Lohr, and this is our Western edition. We are going to begin with a mass shooting in Maryland at a newspaper office in Annapolis. A gunman with a shotgun opened fire this afternoon at the Capitol Gazette. Five were killed, several others hurt. Ramos reportedly had sued the paper for defamation and lost. Threats against the paper were made on social media as recently as today. He started off on Twitter making threats on Twitter and stalking journalists on Twitter. So the people who stalk you, there, there is a real safety risk if it's a multi-year fixation as it is with me. All along the way. Mike has attempted to inform the mainstream media about his situation in hopes that they'd help de-escalate the harassment. Mr. Stalker is a left-wing political commentator. 
Maybe some peer pressure would bring the harassment to an end. Mike has even attempted to inform Turner Broadcasting employees Brian Stelter, Oliver Darcy, and Jake Tapper. These are all CNN reporters claiming to be concerned about the safety of journalists in these volatile times. Mike says none of them have responded. The division of Turner Broadcasting that Mr. Stalker worked with closed this past October. But as recently as November 8, 2018, Mr. Stalker threatened to send police to Mike's house for a fabricated allegation. Mike recently filed an affidavit with law enforcement in hopes of ending the continued threats. But if something happens to him or his family, the media will carry some of the blame. Which leads us back to the question at hand. Is the mainstream media really concerned about the safety of journalists? The answer apparently depends on who you are. And if that were a conservative doing anything close to that, every media outlet in the world would be on the phone. How can this be allowed? One of the awakening moments for my wife was when I was on the phone with the Huffington Post. The blogger there said, oh, yeah, everybody in D.C. knows, but like nobody's going to write that story. (laughs) And Shauna was like appalled. If the media really cared about the safety of journalists, they'd come to Mike's defense, regardless of their feelings about his brand of tough journalism. Because we all know our media doesn't mind an aggressive reporter, just as long as he's going after their enemy. The administration won't tolerate a reporter placing his hands on a young woman just trying to do her job. Several journalists and organizations are demanding Acosta's press pass be reinstated. Red Pilled America is an iHeartRadio original podcast. It's produced by Patrick Perelci and myself, Adriana Cortez, for Inform Ventures. To hear the story behind the story, please consider becoming a backstage subscriber to listen to exclusive behind-the-scene clips. To subscribe, visit redpilledamerica.com and click the support button in the top menu. That's redpilledamerica.com and click support in the top menu. Thanks for listening.